1: just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. That's pork porkbun p o r k b u n dot com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. So today on our second episode of season nine, focusing on product journeys, I wanted to talk about a product that many listening may have a love-hate relationship with.
0: Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe it's like a piece of product management software then. (laughs) Maybe Jira. I know some people that have a love-hate relationship with that.
1: I think that would be more of a hate-hate relationship, honestly. <laughs> but um, no, some people actually love this product. Okay, and are you one of the people that love this product? So I, I don't, I've always felt like it was a little bit much, but um, I can't say I've given it a fair shot either. And some of their latest developments do make it pretty enticing. So today we're going to be talking about Asana and specifically around their release of automation.
0: All right, and that automation that was led by one of the product managers, Anna Marie Clifton, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. And we'll hear from her later. On in the show. All right, well, let's get into it then.
1: Welcome to
0: Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito.
1: So Asana was founded by Justin Rosenstein and Dustin Moskovitz.
0: Yeah, and for those of you that might remember, Dustin Moskovitz was one of the co-founders of Facebook, and he actually left in 2008 to start working on Asana. Yeah, um, you know, leaving Facebook to build enterprise project management software, I don't quite get it. <laughs> well, here's how Dustin explained it to Sarah Lacey at a Pando Fireside chat back in 2012. I do think my part in it had... had-
2: changed mm-hmm. um and you know the story of the the story of Asana is is basically um you know that uh for the last year and a half I was at Facebook I was working uh basically 100% of my time on internal communication tools um and uh part of part of the precursor to Asana is actually a, a task manager that I built for Facebook um that gained ubiquitous adoption there and and is still the thing that that basically runs the company today um, and so for me, the thought process was, um, you know, I'd gotten to a place where I believed that, um, b- building these tools was the most impactful thing I could do for Facebook. Um, but I also believed, uh, there were other companies with important missions and the, and the tools were applicable to more than just Facebook. Uh, and finally, I could do a better job building them um with a team dedicated to that purpose. So I was I was literally you know one guy with kind of like half another engineer helping me and we were iterating on this tool and it was very specialized to Facebook so you could cut a lot of corners, didn't need to scale. Um, but ultimately it, it was limited and the you know the feature request list was just growing out in front of us and was you know never gonna never actually gonna be accomplished um with just a few people working on it. Um, and so I thought well, you know, maybe it makes sense for for Facebook to go into this product category and put a real engineering team on it and, and productize it But uh, you know very quickly uh, decided that didn't make sense and which uh, just mission creep for them and mark agreed 100% um, So once I got to the, the end of that sort of reasoning um, it, You know it basically just became uh you know something something we needed to do that you know Justin and I needed to sort of you know manifest this vision in the outer world. Uh, so you know every time somebody asks me you know why did you leave Facebook, they often sort of have these these ideas built up in their head of you know maybe there were tensions or maybe you didn't like it anymore, maybe it was big. Well, company. there's a big and, rumor
3: that it was Cheryl.
2: And
1: there was a rumor that Cheryl Sandberg
0: had pushed him out, but. He denies that was true. Yeah, The truth was, at least according to Dustin, he saw a huge opportunity in the project management software space. And he was building this kind of software for Facebook already. He described walking through the Facebook office and seeing the team interacting with his system on three or four monitors. And it reminded him a lot of the early days of the Facebook product. Yeah, he knew he had something special and something probably that was all his own. So ultimately he leaves Facebook to set off and build the internal software that he developed at Facebook into a commercialized product they started building in 2009 and then ultimately launched the product in 2011 to large fanfare billing themselves as a modern way to work together they were in beta from 2010 to 2011 and then early in 2011 there was a 1200 company wait list just to get into that beta yeah they had an ambitious roadmap and plenty of competition too for teams of up to 30 people asana offered their product for free and companies could create more than one team on the platform Uh, Keeping the product free at first was key for early adoption, especially in the competitive project management sphere, where SaaS tools like Basecamp and Jira, they were already there. The software
1: was so flexible that when they launched, people were using it for regions well beyond product management. Here's Dustin and Justin talking with Jason Kincaid of TechCrunch on the day of their launch in 2011 about the different use cases they were already seeing.
2: Uh, we had pretty big imaginations. From this. <laughs> One thing that we've actually seen repeatedly that's been kind of intriguing to me is is weddings. Okay. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we we uh, we've had a couple of close friends actually that have been uh, organizing that way, and it just seems to be you know really well suited to it. And we've heard that from customers as well, where you'll have people who are using it at work to keep themselves, you know, to work on their their big projects in their productive life, mm-hmm. and then getting used to it there and enjoying it there. When they have this other big project they need to work on, they can do it there
0: and keep keep all the work for both of those big projects in one place and just switch back and forth and see what matters. But Asana did feel different. It felt modern and fast. People immediately fell in love with it. A year after the public launch, over 75% of the teams that had joined Asana were still using it. Their first couple of years saw huge growth and major product improvements.
1: Here's Dustin outlining for the information their first couple years of growth in 2016.
2: You know, I'll definitely say enterprise software is a a lot harder than it seems from the outside. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, we've made a lot of progress. So we, we started the company in 2009. We actually launched the product at the very end of 2011. So we've had... Uh, good five years of, of growth now. And um, yeah, it, uh, it, it turns out that there's a, a much bigger MVP for um, what it takes to, to provide good work, work tracking to companies. Um, but we feel uh, really great about where the product is now, especially with the launch we did in September of, of custom fields, which was uh, sort of the last big building block from the, uh, the original vision.
0: So in this time that they built out an inbox inside their product to help replace email, Slack launched, which changed the landscape of how enterprise software should feel. And so they invested heavily in a research team that would start to drive their roadmap. They launched a calendar feature for tracking timelines in which people were throwing in-office dance parties to celebrate its release. And then in 2015, they completely redesigned Asana to better align with the new class of enterprise software like Slack, Workday, Dropbox, companies and platforms like that yeah and that brings us you know close enough to today when they set out to build automation and for that we'll hear from the product lead of automation Anna Marie Clifton right after a quick word from our sponsors
3: My name is Anna Marie Clifton. Uh, some people call me AMC. Most people call me Anna Marie, and a few people I don't talk to call me Anna. So at Asana, I'm the product lead for the automation team, uh, as well as a few uh, affiliated initiatives.
0: So we're now in 2019, and Anna Marie Clifton had recently left Coinbase, where she was the lead for consumer trader experiences. And she left specifically to build this automation product at Asana.
1: Yeah, she was drawn to this work because it was addressing something that she believes to be true about the direction of how work and society are changing.
3: One of the things that I believe about just how humanity is evolving right now is that so much of our work and attention and what it is to be human is becoming digitized. Um, And as it's becoming digitized, it's becoming increasingly easy to Um, augment and automate some of those pieces. Uh, And so my kind of theses and philosophies around work are that as we develop uh, more and more ways to kind of represent our work digitally, uh, we have more opportunities to offload a lot of that cognitive overload um, to computers that are quite functional at those kinds of things, and freeing us up for more Um, exploratory, creative, um, innovative thinking, which is really where humans excel.
1: The first thing she does is sit down with her manager and talk through the high level strategy.
3: So the first piece was kind of working with my manager around um, what she had kind of started to think through on like high level strategy um, and kind of taking that stuff that she was like all right i kind of started thinking about this stuff but we're not really sure where this is going or why Um, we just know that there's something here about automating away the work about work Um, so the the early pieces were around diving into customer pains um, customer problems and building out frameworks around that and thinking about how automation could kind of plug into those frameworks and really help smooth that out and automate away that work about work.
0: Automating away the work about work. Yeah, it sounds like a commercial that writes itself. (laughs) It really does. And, And that's part of the product work here. I mean, developing the narrative for the team. Like we talked about last week in Jack Dorsey's ability to craft the square story throughout the product that they were doing. Anna presents the outcome of their work in an easy to digest and memorable narrative. So she took this high level goal to automate away the work about
1: work and started working with the research team to better understand what that work was.
3: Kind of mapping out with uh, really incredible research and design talent that we have here, mapping out what are the points in a process where the the work is more Kind of human based, more innovative, and what are the points in the process that are more repeatable? Um, and kind of identifying that those repeatable points are quite often at the handoff moments. Um, handoff is a a bit of a sticky thing. Um, for like, how exactly do you hand off? How do you ensure that that was like properly done? It went to the right next place. And so we kind of built up a strategy around. Uh, developing a, an entire workflow where certain pieces are humans, and then the pieces in between the humans are the automation that moves the work through. And that's something that w- one strategy that we, I, th- I think, had been playing with organizationally was this concept of like, well, what can automation do throughout the process? And one thing that we really uncovered is that there's you don't replace humans. That's not something that we really believe is (laughs) reasonable or at all feasible or appropriate or beneficial in any capacity. But the handing off between humans as work is becoming more complex and there's more collaboration and codependence between uh, different teams, a lot of times remote teams, those handoffs are quite complex. And ensuring that every individual in all these initiatives understands exactly what the next step needs to be after they've done their step actually takes a lot of effort and keeps the the team alignment there um, takes so much time and effort that it slows your whole team down and so we uncovered is that there there are some people who are really thinking very high level about how that process works and who needs to be plugged in when and where and that if they can set up a system that can operate kind of for them on their behalf monitoring and paying attention the way they would want to, to how everything is operating, um, then we can help each individual who plugs into that system not have to learn the whole thing in order to operate, you know?
0: So they started to focus on this handoff issue as one of the key problems that they wanted to solve through automation.
3: One of the things that I love about product development at Asana is uh, we're, we're very research driven. So we have um, a really robust like discovery process that our research team has been building out over the years. So, uh, yes, tons, tons of things. So start with to really pull out that insight that automation isn't something that happens throughout. It happens at those key points and those handoffs that comes from. our user research lead discussing just generally like how does your process work with dozens of people and then pulling out from that a framework and an understanding of like okay this is how those things work there's someone who understands the end to end from really high level and then they kind of set up those handoff moments in between and then lots of different people come in and play a role at various points. And so kind of like developing that as a framework comes a lot of times out of that one-to-one conversation with someone where you just talk to them about their work, you're asking open-ended questions, they're showing you their screen, you're kind of like digging in like, oh, that's an interesting tidbit there, tell me more. And you start to build up kind of an understanding and a modeling of the system and pulling a framework out of that.
1: And I can completely relate to this issue, especially running a remote team. Every time a feature is released, I end up running to every chat room in Slack to alert various teams about what they've just pushed live, how it might affect their work, work what they should be ready for think of you know support needing to know about a new feature where requests are going to come in or giving comms the green light to discuss on social
0: yeah this is interesting I mean we could see the shaping process come to life here starting with the high level goal of automating away the work about work to now focusing in on a specific pain point to solve inside the product but we still don't have a product solution right that and more right after a quick break So we left off with Anna defining the initial focus for the automation product of Vasana. And her team starts to
1: dig into product solutions, right? To solve this, analyzing the handoff event across teams and industries.
3: What's interesting there is there's a tension with trying to build something that works like agnostically as well for any different team because you can't get the specificity that any individual team might need or expect or they may have specific language that they use for a particular part of a process that a different team or different type of function might use a different language. So we kind of try to strike a balance. One of our core values is rejecting false trade-offs. So instead of picking entirely horizontal or just having a, a product that's exclusively used by one type of team, we try to understand the workflows of specific types of teams as a primary target and then have a secondary target of ensuring that the functionality works horizontally across a wide variety of teams because it, it, it's a little bit too much um, cognitive overload to try and understand how all teams work all the time.
0: So they then picked a core target for their initial work.
3: I would say the the core target that we were looking at was the creative production uh, workflows for marketing and creative teams so what are those handoffs when you get a creative brief that comes in uh, you have to decide who to staff how to uh, which teams are needed how many resources um, then hand that off and maybe your designer starts working on some concepts and then you need some approvals there and so like kind of all the phases involved and in that all the way to a production and launch
1: so now they've picked a problem to solve a specific use case to tackle in the handoff of a creative brief
3: first we're pulling out those frameworks of how automation can plug into these processes. And then what's interesting about the automation systems is it's kind of like, a, an interleaving layer, uh, inside the whole product. So there's something about launching a new system that requires a significant amount of like inter, uh, interdependency with the existing system and making sure that everything is like tied in together. So. The automation system is uh, listening for events that happen in Asana and then checking to see if anyone has said, hey, when this thing happens, I want something else to happen. And then if that's true, cause that thing to happen. And so that means that the automation system is kind of plugged into everything that happens in the product and has all of these different options of things that it can do. Developing and launching a system like that, there's a a balance you wanna strike between ensuring that you have a robust enough system and then also getting something out to customers quickly enough. So we tried to narrow down on a few pains that we wanted to solve, specifically around like those key handoff moments and specifically around which uh, how we might explain those handoff moments, how we could like in the product say like oh if you're ready for instance your a task comes into a project and you have a default triager, you want them to always be assigned every task, you can set that up. And that's like a really simple workflow that's really easy to grok and can help people like get started with the system. So we're looking for ways that we could provide incremental value to customers and help them like build into the system and understand how it works while also getting something out soon enough that you can <laughs> validate that customers can use it.
0: And from there, they had two key threads that they began planning specific product work for.
3: So I would say we had kind of two threads of product work for weeks to months. Um, the first of which was as we're building this system what are going to be that that what's the the incremental path into understanding this system that we know that we can hold handhold customers through and they'll be able to be successful and that's like one set of product discovery working with live prototypes working with uh, customers using um, their own data where you turn on a flag and then they would have access to like some very small subset of the functionality that was established nowhere near high enough fidelity that we could launch it, but they could like experience it in their own environment and talk us live through some of their um, experiences and reactions. So it was one thread. And then the other thread is how how do we ensure that we've got an, enough of the system that's set up that people aren't going to fall off a cliff when they get in here, right? And that's just a, a constant balance of um, trying to understand what people's expectations are around these systems. And again, similar processes, exposing them to to paper prototypes, exposing them to live prototypes, exposing them to live prototypes with their own data, and then eventually all the way up into a large scale beta program where we would turn on the feature for Um, dozens of companies and let them play with it for weeks on end and kind of run into some of those dead ends.
1: So they started building prototypes and pieces of functional product to get in front of customers and start learning. One of those interesting discoveries they made was that in this case, less wasn't more, but more was actually more.
3: One of the biggest ones is we had a pretty, uh, a pretty thorough, a pretty firmly held assumption that the system was going to be too much for people all at once And we needed to give a little bit of more progressive disclosure. And what we found is we, we explored some of those concepts and they landed well enough with customers. But when we added in a really divergent concept of like, here's the system, wholesale, like navigate around and figure it out. uh, It was fascinating because we found in that moment that it was easier for customers to grok what was going on when they could see more of the system all at once. And uh, one of the key learnings that we had there was, you know, the value of exposing customers to really divergent things when you're trying to understand how they react to something. Even if you have a pretty high confidence in what you're, the direction you're going, having something that's quite different there as just a counterpoint for uh, for customers to react to can help you gain confidence if <laughs> your existing assumptions are actually correct or not. Because people have a very hard time. Looking at something and saying, you know, if it were this completely other way, it would be easier for me to understand. No one's going to say that. Nobody can see that thought, right? That's a very hard thought to think. And that's why we pay designers to design is because that's very hard work. Um, and so giving them something just really divergent to, to, to react to pays extraordinary dividends.
0: And that's an interesting point about user testing. Without a B to your A, if you will, many customers won't be able to tell you what's missing from your concept or if there's a better way to solve the problem. So now they're actually approaching the launch.
3: So the launch, um, I mentioned we had a large scale beta program. We had exit criteria there based on ease of use and how um, how much value it provided for customers, how how much better it made their lives. And so we were constantly interviewing and monitoring with survey feedback what the experience was like. And once we hit above our thresholds, then we were like ready to to start launching it for customers. So the next phase was rolling it out, making sure nothing breaks, which is always an exciting moment. You know, we did a code freeze for this organizationally, uh, organization-wide code freeze for a couple days while we were um, rolling out to 100%. It was extraordinarily smooth, um, which. To this day, just I, I cannot give enough kudos to the engineering team here because again, when you're talking about building a layer in between everything that exists, the automation system has to not break everything that already exists, <laughs> um, which is quite a challenge. So, uh, so yeah, so we had an like completely like no no P0s, no P1s, uh, no, no major uh, bugs or issues as we rolled out, which is really exciting because following that, we were ready for the automation formal launch. So we do try to separate our ship and our launch moments where shipping is when customers have access to the, the functionality and launching is when we market that and say, hey, you, this is now available. We've been working on this thing because it solves these
0: problems. And then... The launch day itself
3: so the launch day was really exciting we got to see a lot of people discover the functionality get really really excited about it it's just really fun when customers find out about something that you you've kind of been nurturing and building for months um and watching how how excited they get by that so that was just that's just always lovely and then the what was really really great to see is that we got a flood of feedback um and it's feedback is such a gift but the the flood of feedback that we got was this is great. Can I also have X, Y, Z? Another trigger, another action, another way to automate something else. And so we got this treasure trove of, 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 you know, this giant wish list from our customer base, and we were able to kind of look at that and. Uh, spend some time exploring some of the strategic opportunities that that feedback represented um, and continue iterating. So we've just launched uh, this past month, another couple big updates to the system based on people's requests. Uh, we've been adding new functionality weekly, monthly uh, around new ways that you can automate work, uh, new ways that you can increase. Uh, maybe you want to add a little bit more of logic. You want to say like, A few ors, a few ands. I want to do when something happens. I want to do these eight things, or when uh, you know when my boss does something and it's a P zero. Like then let me know. (laughs) Um, So adding more functionality there, and we're continuing to iterate on that. So it's it's been really exciting in that way, but it's also been really interesting to think about it from the perspective of what are some other uh, target workflows that we can we can pull more things into. I, I mentioned early on we had a few target workflows we were thinking of when we were building out the initial functionality. And then when you launch something in the wild, people use it for all other sorts of use cases and surface like other workflows that need a little augmentation this way and that way. So automation is continuing to evolve.
1: And there you have it, a great example of a company channeling its mission into new and exciting product features and executing through rigorous user testing and research.
0: So Mike, What do we have coming up next? Well, next week's episode, I thought we could take a look at the launch of maybe one of the apps that every single person on this episode of Rocket Ship is probably already using, and that's Instagram. Thanks so much for
1: listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM FM now has a premium ad free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your
0: podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product
1: people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on Rocketship.fm.